the return of two fun guys. This week, it's the return of Speaking Municipally. We're back. We'll talk about garbage. Literally. Plus, the new city manager is coming into a house that is much smaller due to layoffs, just in time for crazy season to start with a bunch of candidates criticizing the city's performance. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 112. We've had a long winter break, and normally these winter breaks don't seem so long with me because last year I was jaunting off to Canmore. I had Christmas parties with all of my family. This year, I got to sit in silence in my home, just waiting for the return of when I can spend my 30 minutes ranting about whatever crosses my mind. That That's an apt description of what we do, right? I think so. I've been looking forward to the return of this as well. It's been the longest year and it's still going is what it feels like. Let's get into the ongoing dumpster fire segment, the rapid fire. After single-handedly keeping the Edmonton economy alive earlier this year by letting a couple hockey players stay in a hotel and order Tim Hortons from a truck, the NHL is back and delivering the smashing results Edmonton is used to. The Oilers lost 5-3 to to the Canucks in their first game of the season. Happy birthday, Connor. Many Edmontonians had to modify or cancel their traditions this Christmas, and City Hall is no different where normally the end of year is marked by festive celebrations, caroling, events, and hot chocolate at City Hall, followed by half the members of the least-watched order of government grandstanding about freezing taxes before concluding with increasing the police budget. This year, some changes had to be made, however. While it is very easy to cut the big events and tell people to stay home, some councillors lamented the difficulty of using digital platforms and phone-ins to debate which citizen services and employees would get cut said one counselor who was wearing a suit jacket and pajama pants in front of his webcam. At one point, my internet cut out and I was almost unable to give the police a raise. But thankfully, a Christmas miracle, we got the boys their cash. Jane Goodall wants Edmonton City Council to stop monkeying around and transfer Lucy the Elephant to a Tennessee sanctuary. She was absolutely clear in her statement that Lucy would far prefer to be orangutanging in the sun in Tennessee instead of chilling in the Edmonton winter. Frankly, she said, the whole thing just drives her bananas. She said a real plan is required, not something just patched together with Gorilla Glue. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by the BGC Bigs. That's Boys and Girls Club, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton, and Area. It's looking for volunteers like you. Families that have needed help need it now more than ever. And with BGC Bigs, volunteers have the power to change the courses of young people's lives across our community during the pandemic and beyond. Together, we can ignite hope, and that's something that we all desperately need right now. Dedicating your time to the life of a child or youth makes an impact that goes far beyond Zoom calls, video game battles, or tutoring sessions. Explore how you can get involved and watch community change one life at a time. You can join BGC Bigs for a virtual coffee in one of their online open houses to learn more about volunteering and get more information at bgcbigs.ca or just Google BGC Bigs. It's easier than you think. We are back. Before this episode, we sat down and we're doing the recap of what happened while we were gone. And of course, you know, there's the big ticket items like ministers flying off to Hawaii and these big mm-hmm. provincial scandals that went down. But Not a lot happened municipally over the break. No, I think everybody was either too busy uh, getting angry on Twitter or uh, was too busy staying home and 
doing other constructive things, probably watching streaming services or something. There was a few things that happened municipally, but not nearly as much as, say, in the summertime during that break. So I think the place to start is what happened last week. So council has taken a break since our last episode, but they have just come back and they've had, I think, only one meeting as we're recording this on Thursday evening. And it was mostly about COVID and a COVID update. Yeah, we had an emergency advisory committee meeting last week. That was the first one back. The main thing they talked about at that meeting was the vaccines, which have, as you know, started to roll out throughout Alberta. And uh, city council essentially agreed that police officers, firefighters, and emergency medical technicians should be basically first in line or next in line to get vaccines after healthcare workers and residents of uh, continuing care facilities, which is where the province has started. And uh, interim city manager Adam Lachlan basically said that the city will continue to advocate for priority timing for frontline first responders. The other things they talked about were kind of not anything we can do anything about. You know, they discussed festivals like Folk Fest and Heritage Fest, maybe coming back, maybe not. It's too early to say. Um, and then they also talked a little bit about uh, firefighters and, uh, and and wanted to make sure that they were remembered in this discussion about uh, frontline workers. You said they talked about other things that they can't do stuff about. I think all of it is things that they can't do stuff about. I mean, as much as we can advocate to the province to get frontline workers like firefighters or police on the list for vaccines, the city has no real authority here, right? Yeah, you're right. This is is strictly a provincial decision. The best that the city can do is, as uh, the interim city manager said, is is advocate. They can say, we think this, um, but it's not their decision. Uh, It's up to the province to decide how that vaccine rollout goes. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the province will blame the feds at every opportunity while they do that. So speaking of blame... um There were a hundred fines issued for people violating the mask bylaw over the holidays. I read that number and I was appropriately whelmed. I wasn't surprised by it. I wasn't shocked by how high or low it was. I saw that number and I'm like, that seems about right to me. Yeah, there was 98. The fine is $100. And in addition to those 98 tickets, they issued something like 1,200 warnings related to the bylaw over that time period. I was a bit surprised, actually, by the number because I really didn't think they would be out enforcing it at all over that time period. Part of the holidays is a little wee thing called Boxing Day. I would imagine there was quite a lot of that in 15% capacity, but still stuffed mall. Mm. Uh, Though I don't believe they broke down exactly when these bylaw tickets were being handed out. No, they just said between December 10th and January 4th, a very sufficiently large window of time. Moving on to some other city news that uh, surfaced this week. We have the new city manager who we had talked about in a previous episode. He will be starting his tenure very soon and he'll be walking into quite a lot of layoffs. I think it's fair to say there's some tumult in the current city management and city infrastructure, covid can tend to do that. We got announcements about very specific details about how layoffs will occur and what's happening right now. We knew from the budget discussion last month that layoffs would be coming. A big chunk of the budget cuts that were made in order to get to the 0% tax increase for 2021 involved uh, staff layoffs. And the city has looked for efficiencies. They've tried to reduce positions by not refilling them by not hiring them. Um, But there are going to be some layoffs um, as part of that as well. So they've started that in January this month now with the first 60 layoff notices. 
Um, we know that there's about 300 positions that need to be cut sometime this year. And so um, the the new city manager, um, Andre Corbold, is coming into some layoffs and he's going to have to deliver some more um, as the year progresses. I do wonder, because it's not just the city of Edmonton, the University of Alberta, Nate, all these higher education um, providers and across the city, we've seen layoffs mounting across the board. And it's been, I'd say, palatable because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, because everyone's sort of in a bit of flux. People are out of work all over the place. Businesses are closing and then reopening. So it's harder to notice the differences in service levels. But with the vaccine rollout and, you know, by fall, we're predicted to have most people who want a vaccine with one. And when businesses start to reopen and when life starts to return to quote unquote normal, I think we're going to start seeing the pain of these layoffs and these service reductions in force in a way that we haven't seen yet because, you know, it's not very noticeable that you're laying off staff when all rec centers are closed, when bus service is reduced, that sort of thing. Yeah, and with these layoffs, they said there's about a quarter of them are management positions, and three quarters of them are for union employees. Um, this is of the first uh, 60 layoffs at the city. And so this is part of that ongoing discussion about how efficient is our administration? Is there is it too top-heavy? Is there too many management positions? I think some will look at these cuts and say, this is welcome. Our, our workforce had grown much too large for the kind of service that we need as a city and others will say kind of what you just did that you know these are important jobs that help provide services that Edmontonians rely on and so any any loss of them is uh, is going to be felt at some point I don't think that anyone who's worked in the public sector can say that they haven't observed waste but I think the key thing to remember is that I don't think anyone in the private sector can say that either no matter what right. organization you work for there's always that guy who's like what is even your job, my dude? You know, often there's more to the story. Um, sometimes there's just five construction guys drinking Tim's looking at a hole. But, you know, right. we'll find out. There is some good news, though, quite astronomically different than the news we're hearing across the board. You know, the city issuing layoffs, there's service reductions, there's budgetary tightness. And meanwhile, good old Edmonton-based jobber goes ahead and gets $60 million U.S. of new funding and capital. Yeah, this is really exciting. So Jobber is, I think it's fair to say, probably the most um, successful tech startup in the city. Um, they make software for small businesses to help small businesses run their businesses. And uh, $60 million U.S. in new funding to help them grow even further. The CEO, Sam Pilar, has said in the past that he thinks there's uh, a billion-dollar opportunity here. Just as Shopify um, has become a unicorn out east, uh, Jobber is well-positioned to continue growing like a weed and get to that same level of, uh, of, of impact here in Edmonton. So this is funding that will be used to help them do that to help them grow more quickly. And um, a big chunk of what that money will be used for is hiring new people, of course. And thankfully, Jobber is going to continue hiring people here. We did an interview with Sam, and uh, he basically said they plan to hire 200 new people over the over the next year, and a significant number of those are going to happen here in Edmonton. I did a computing science degree at the University of Alberta, and I can say, you know, looking back at my peers who did it with me at people who I've worked with in the past, 90% of them are working at Jobber right now. 
this this organization has gobbled up a lot of talent and a lot of Edmonton-based talent, which I think is a really cool success story. I don't think we've seen a tech success story from Edmonton here since like Bioware, maybe? Yeah, Bioware was a big one. You know, there's been some smaller success stories. So there's been some smaller exits, but this is a, a scale that is quite a bit different than anything we've seen in Edmonton. They've had some pretty big um, deals and tech companies come out of Calgary over the years, um, but Jobber by far would be uh, the most significant here in Edmonton. Is there a push from the Edmonton tech community to get Jobber as like sort of the anchor tenant of the mall of the innovation corridor. I don't know if I'm mixing some metaphors there. <laughs> but how does this fit into our startup community? Because I don't think it's fair to call Jobber a startup anymore. They're a juggernaut. Yeah, I guess the the correct term that what the community would use is they're a scale-up. So you're right. They're no longer a startup. They are now a scale-up. They are a big part of the innovation sector and the innovation corridor or what's maybe left of it or starting to become of it here in Edmonton. Um, they recently moved offices into um, the former Enbridge Place, 103rd Street Tower, which has been undergoing renovations. I understand that they're not fully in there right now, obviously, because of the pandemic. So maybe they don't need quite as much space as they once thought. But on the other hand, 200 new positions mean those folks have to go somewhere. Um, so it's a good thing for Edmonton because, as you've already pointed out, they've provided local jobs for tech talent that in the past might have been seduced to go to other places. We might have lost those folks to other cities and, and startups in other places. And Jobber's uh, providing um, a home for those those folks here. The other effect, I think, of a tech startup like Jobber that, that gets to this level is that, you know, obviously not everybody who works for Jobber will stay there. People will leave. But having the experience of working at a place like Jobber means that we've now now trained a whole bunch of employees who can apply all of the things they learned there to other companies, either new startups that they might be joining, or even joining more traditional companies and bringing a more entrepreneurial innovation focus, you know, lens to their work in those places. So I think um, these big companies, and when there is a, a big success story like this, it has these sort of knock on effects that help lift the entire tech community in a city. And I think Jobber's already doing that here in Edmonton, and will continue to do that. Despite what Mac just said, when the merit of a lot of his things, we're not advocating for trickle-down economics on this podcast. This is for tech companies and sharing knowledge. We don't say that Jobber's money is going to trickle down and everyone else will enjoy the mirth from feeding our big corporate overlords. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not arguing for Reaganomics here. It's just uh, there's pretty clear evidence that in other cities where you've had a, especially when you have an exit, when you have a tech company that either goes public people get rich off that or is sold to another company and people uh, make some money off that, that they they often then will reinvest back in the community, not necessarily in a financial way, but even just in a community building way. And we've seen that with the founders of BioWare who are, are uh, you know, some of the key people behind Richie Market, for instance. So, you know, they didn't have to start another tech company in order to have a positive impact on the community for their success. You know, there's other ways for that to happen. Like with anything, there's always multiple paths to success. And one of the paths that we're exploring for our climate goals and our success case for reducing our impact on global warming and the acceleration of human-affected climate change is the Home Energy Retrofit Accelerator, or HERA. This is a $600,000 per year, three-year pilot program to help residential energy efficiency programs in Edmonton, you know, buy new windows, roofs, all sorts of home energy retrofit items. And when I saw that number, I said, 
darn if it, that doesn't look like a familiar number. Where were the e-bike rebate counselors on this one? This seems a lot like a financial incentive to modify behavior for changing our climate outcomes. Sounds a lot like the e-bike rebate to me. Am I am I off base here? No, that was my first reaction as well. I was like, where's Scott McKean? Why aren't people upset about this? Not only are they not, you know, complaining about this program because it's a green program, but also because of the financial situation. One of the reasons that they were upset about the e-bike rebate last year was because of the pandemic and the negative impact it was going to have on our finances. Well, here we are in early 2021 and our finances are in much worse state now than they were then. Surely if we're upset about you know, these green programs that are sort of nice to have rather than needs in their view, uh, surely those should be things we should cancel now too, right? But they're not anywhere around. A lot of the discussion around canceling the e-bike rebate is, you know, these are toys for rich middle-class people, which, you know, I don't strictly disagree with on all fronts. Mm -hmm. Granted, people with the means to buy e-bikes and to benefit from the rebate. There, there was some crossover on that Venn diagram. However, like, I'm a middle-class homeowner. I am much more able to buy an e-bike than I am to energy retrofit my home, even with a rebate. Like, this is much more of a subsidy for people who already have wealth. A, a renter's never going to take advantage of this program. Right. It's for uh, homeowners and the city estimates 400 homeowners are expected to take advantage of it. It'll work out to about $1,500 per home. This is for things like insulation, air sealing, water heating, all that kind of stuff. Like there's The news release says there's some kind of bonus available for multiple renovations. But you're right. You're already spending a pretty significant amount of money on these projects. $1,500 is yeah a subsidy for people who are already homeowners, first and foremost. And then... Uh, homeowners who are spending money to make their homes more efficient. It's a good outcome that we're looking for, but you're right in terms of, uh, of how equitable it is. And I suppose we're coming dangerously close to campaigning against this program, which I, I don't think is either of our intentions here. I'm happy to have home energy rebates, but when this is our flagship program, when this is the standard bearer, it shows a pretty weak program overall, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not advocating against it, but that's a good point you make. The other thing I wanted to say on this is, you know, my first thought was same as you, where are the e-bike folks? Uh, my second was, and I just want to read this little part of the news release and then I'll get to my second point. Hira is a three-year pilot program with a budget of $600,000 per year. The previous residential energy efficiency program in Edmonton resulted in more than 15 million in local economic activity and more than 41,000 tons of carbon reductions in one year. And my thought was, is this really a pilot program? We're already starting 2021 with this nonsense. $600,000 per year, and we already had a program that was evidently successful. Well, why are we calling this a pilot? <laughs> because people can't argue against it if it's a pilot. Oh, nonsense. You're absolutely right here. We have this infatuation in Edmonton with calling anything we do a pilot program. It's like when Google called things a beta, right? It's like, oh, it's just in beta. Yeah, Gmail was in beta for what, eight, nine years? Pilots aside, um, one of the pilots has ended for a new system that I'll remind everyone has been piloted everywhere else, including Calgary, including Strathcona County. New waste carts are coming to Edmonton. And this massive, fascinating change that has never been done anywhere else in the world where garbage trucks pick up carts of garbage. I don't know. It's it's 
am I losing you on the innovative techno mumbo jumbo here? Is this too complicated? <laughs> this is the Edmonton cart rollout that you're talking about. Uh, and the city announced that all single unit and some multi-unit homes will automatically receive a large 240 liter garbage cart, a regular sized 120 liter food scraps cart, and a small food scraps pail sometime between March and August of this year at no cost. So there's a couple things I have to say about this. And the first one is, it's about time. It's about time that we are able to separate our organics from the garbage because we know that has not been a successful strategy for waste diversion from the landfill. It's about time that we switch to a system where garbage people don't have to lift, I believe it's something like 20 tons every day is the typical load borne by just a regular garbage person on a shift. These are all good changes. Some of the weird changes, though, are like, one, we're shipping out by default this 240 liter cart, and you can opt in to a smaller one. There's this weird difference in people who live in multifamily dwellings and people who live in core areas seem to have significantly lower standards of service on this new garbage cart rollout. Whereas if you live in the suburbs on a cul-de-sac, you're guaranteed to get great service and good reliability, and we've got you covered. There's also nothing in the news release for people like me who live in a multi-unit building. I guess we're just not applicable. Well, and my understanding is that you won't get new waste carts. You'll continue to use the city of Edmonton dumpsters and the existing blue bin policy, wherein if a landlord doesn't want to give you a recycling bin, then you throw your recycling in the garbage. That continues to stand, which I would argue is a pretty big problem on a city that wants to densify. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to have to sort that out at some point. But I guess it's fair to say that the majority of of folks right now are going to be in single family homes in Edmonton. And so what the city says this will help us do is reach 65% single unit residential waste diversion by 2023. Will our new composters be open by 2023? That's the question, because I'm Skeptical we can hit 65% diversion if we don't have a roof installed on our organics bin. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a good point. It does say new processing facilities will come on board this year. That's the promise. Am I opening up this year too cynically? I feel like, you know, towards the end of the episode, I've been very cynical on almost every (laughs) item. It's a good start to 2021. Yes, the, the COVID bitterness has not ended. And oh, Boy, I'm looking at the next item and thinking, how can I not be cynical about this one? We had some good news come out. And at the end of 2019, the Metro line, it's just about done. We've just got a couple pieces of testing. This was out of left field for me. It was such a throwback. We're reading about ministers in Hawaii. We're reading about layoffs. And we're reading about COVID and vaccine and stressing all our systems. And I just see... Metro line is just about done, which is not on my 2020 bingo card. No, me neither. I looked at the the, uh, the journal article about this. It was published on January 10th, and I had to double check the date a couple of times because I was sure that they had accidentally republished an old article. <laughs> uh, and, and no, but the Post Media did an interview with uh, the branch manager for LRT Expansion and Renewal, Bruce Ferguson. And he says this new fixed block system that they're installing is nearing completion. And it's going to be an important thing to not only solve um, the problems that have plagued the Metro line since its inception seven years ago, um, but also allow the LRT to eventually expand further north. 
So brief recap on the history of this item. The Metro line was an extension to our Capital line high floor LRT system. The high floor LRT system on the Capital line used something called a fixed block signaling system. So you'd have a block of signaling between two stations and the trains would have unilateral control of that block. Um, this had some implications for frequency of trains. So when we built the Metro line, we wanted to switch to a new, more newfangled technology called communications-based uh, blocking, which basically has every train has a little radio transmitter and the blocks move with the trains so that trains stay sufficiently far apart from each other and don't crash in tunnels. But, you know, the blocks can be smaller and moving so that you can get more trains on the track. When we put out this procurement, everyone said, it's impossible. We're not even going to bid on this. We... We're, we're not going to agree with this part of the contract, except Thales, who said, yeah, we can do that for you. For $55 million. Turns out, much later, it was, in fact, impossible, and Thales didn't do it, though I suppose allegedly is necessary yes. there. The city is pursuing Thales in court, and Thales says they have delivered everything as per the contract. The city, multiple years after it was supposed to be finished, said, okay, we're going to cut our losses. We're not even going to pursue this moving block system. We're just going to do more advanced technology with fixed blocks. Alstom will do it. They'll do it for $30 million, which is like $25 million less than the Thales agreement. And then we'll just sue Thales for all our money back. And that gets us today where, hey, it's possible in like the next month or so, the Metro line might be done. What is it? Eight and a half years after it was supposed to be done? Something like that. And for frequency, what this means, especially in the downtown, right now the capital line is only running every 15 minutes. This new system will allow the city to increase that to every five minutes. Uh, it allows trains to pass within two and a half minutes of each other through the tunnel downtown. So that's a good thing for frequency. It's a good thing for riders. Although right now, of course, there's far fewer people taking the train than normal and before the pandemic. You know, I went into this item saying let's be cynical about this but you know what i'm ready for the metro line to be over if we in 2021 when it comes october and it's time for the election and there's going to be some sort of referendum on lrt if we have a completed metro line and a completed or close to be completed valley line southeast i think that's going to be a happy moment for and I think it's going to be a real solidifying of Iveson's LRT mayor. You can put the stamp on and say, my time is complete. Look, Simba, everything the light touches. <laughs> Go, candidates, run for council now. Build more LRT. If this seems like me transitioning into the election item, you're right. It's crazy season. 2021 is here. And we're still not going to talk about it heavily, but we're going to talk about it a little bit because it is 2021 now. And candidates can be officially registered to be candidates in the 2021 municipal election. Yeah, it looks a little different this year. Normally, what happens is in September, about four weeks before the election, we get to uh, nomination day and City Hall fills up with candidates filing their paperwork, the media, onlookers, people from the city, other councillors, all there to see it. Uh, it's usually full of people. It's an opportunity for candidates to meet one another, for them to talk to the media not happening this year, obviously, because of COVID. And so you can book an appointment with the city if you want to run for council. You can file your nomination papers by mail or courier. And really interesting is that the city has set up a YouTube channel and they live stream anytime an aspiring candidate has an appointment and they go to register in person. 
and it's on YouTube, which means they're recorded. So you can go and see all of these uh, candidates who have already filed their nomination papers. I looked today, 11 people so far uh, have officially registered, which means they've got their paperwork in, they've paid their deposit, and the returning officer has said, yes, everything looks good. I expect we'll see many, many, many more over the year ahead. Towards the end of last year, I was starting to look into the election and what it was looking like. And I didn't want to dig too deep in, but I figured it was time to start looking at it. And one of the things that caught my eye was, you know, I've followed elections in the city of Edmonton. And this one looked a little bit different in that early on, there were a lot of candidates that were women. There were a lot of candidates that were visible people of color. And there were a lot of candidates that were declaring their diversity as one of their strong assets that they were bringing forward. Right. So I went and looked back at the 2017 election and I did some apples to apples. When I did this a research on December 22nd, 65% of the declared candidates were women, 47% were visible people of color. Uh, when you compare that to February in 2017, which is the closest analog I could find for right now mm -hmm. because of the varying nomination date changes. Back in 2017, 29% of the candidates were women and 29% were visible people of color. So substantially fewer. It's a big change. Yeah. And I don't think it strikes anyone as completely unheard of with all the tumult we saw this summer with Black Lives Matter, with George Floyd south of the border, and with the lots and lots of upset and fed up people from various communities of color and communities that have been systematically disenfranchised rising up and saying enough is enough. I think, you know, the voice saying I'm running for council because enough is enough. It's not a stretch. That's not something that comes completely out of left field. But it is interesting that, you know, money is being put where mouths are. People are yeah. really stepping forward and saying, I want to make some change. I think we should also credit the folks who have been working to improve these numbers for years, you know, Parity Yeg and the other organizations that have been, you know, really at the forefront of this effort, getting the word out, helping educate women candidates in particular. And, and I'm sure there's organizations working in uh, the BIPOC community as well. Like they've been working at this for a while. And it's great to see some of their efforts come to uh, fruition. And I think I'll just give a free shout out to the new podcast that YWCA Edmonton is releasing. The trailer is out now. It's called mm. Searching for Izena. And essentially, Izena Ross was the uh, first woman elected to Edmonton City Council. And through this podcast, they're going to explore the history of women running for politics in the city of Edmonton and really dig into some of these stories. And it's a really cool idea. I'm all for it. And that one will be in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, no episodes have dropped yet just the trailer for now so you can get on the ground floor instant subscribe speaking of the ground floor the alberta podcast network has been on the ground floor with us since day one one of the supporters of the alberta podcast network and supporting this episode is the edmonton community foundation and the well-endowed podcast this is hosted by andrew paul and elizabeth Bonkink and produced by lisa pruden it explores the impact of passionate people whoa 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 whoa, whoa. wait a minute that sounds like an ad we've read before, but there's something new this week, Troy. What could that be? They have a clip. <laughs> a clip? Well, play the clip, Mac. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. 
The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Didn't hear Lisa Pruden in that clip. I wonder what's up there. We miss you, Lisa. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll be back on the slog. Like Sisyphus, we will push this coverage up to October 2021 as we fight against the candidates, making this all about them. And we will bring you, dare I say it, the news. And that is the Speaking Municipally Promise. And you can also find the news on taprootedmonton.ca or edmonton.taproot.news if you're a trendy, hip urbanite. Published every day. It's great to be back with you, Troy. I've missed our podcast. It was a long break. I'm looking forward to 2021. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. The last time I saw you physically has to have been like eight or nine months ago. Do you have a beard now? Are are you old? Did... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. You could be withered. I could go see you and not recognize you on the street anymore. Well, I don't have a beard. I don't uh, grow facial hair quite as well as anyone else. I did learn to cut my hair this year. So I guess you can be the judge of how well a job I do next time you see me. But it has been a long time. I think it was probably March that we last got together. We promise you that we will continue reporting this podcast until such a time as I can see Mac in person again and decide, oh my God. God. What was I thinking? We got a bail out of this podcast strategy. Until we get to that point, though, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.